it's time to look in the Bible. So take your Bible and turn to the book of um, Philippians. Look in the book of Philippians. Now, you know I've mentioned to y'all before, especially those who took my class on uh, the, uh, the temperaments of learning and understanding yourself. And then when you have to correct somebody, you always try to use the uh, sandwich technique. And so you always compliment, and then you correct, then you compliment. It's the sandwich. You know, where you sandwich your correction with two compliments. You know, it was like having some bologna, but you got two slices of bread. It's uh, a little bit more palatable, I guess I So look there in chapter 4. And then we're going to run around the world. But in Philippians in chapter 4, now Paul had been in prison. And he's the fellow that's trying to encourage everybody. So everybody's having a rough time. But he's talking about the subject of being like-minded. And he refers to Christ. And there's quite a few verses that talks about the mind in the book of Philippians. Well, today I kind of hinted a little bit toward the, this verse, and I says, now I'm going to talk to you today about two women. <laughs> and lo and behold, in the Bible study, two women shows up. So there's two women sitting over here, and the men were all sitting over here. And I hated to talk this whole time on these two women, and there's only two women just happened to be sitting there. I thought, they're going to take this personally. I says, I was going to say a lot about the women today. I says, but y'all have just curbed my... Uh, my talk uh, is kind of like, uh, you know, putting a bridle on the preacher, you know, holding him back, restraining him from letting uh, the horse run wild, you know. So I tried to behave myself. But I still had to say a few words, so I said a few words. Here in the book of uh, Philippians in chapter 4, if you look there in verse 1, Therefore, my brethren, so we know we're talking to brethren, we're talking to believers and these are the people that he had led to the Lord in the Philippine Islands. Wait a minute, didn't you just go to the Philippines? Now that's where the book of the Philippines come from. You stay out of this. All right, so this is uh, from the, the people that have trusted the Lord in Philippi. And here they have trusted the Lord. They're growing in the Lord and great things to say about the people. And so he gives them a great compliment in verse 1. And he's addressing the people here, and he says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown. And that is similar to 1 Thessalonians 2.19, where he refers to the people there in Thessalonica as, Ye are my joy and crown of rejoicing. It's the people that he's won the Lord. See, one of the greatest joys that a child of God can have is the people that he wins to Christ. Because you know they heard the gospel through your lips, and it can never be undone. If you want to do something that lasts forever, every person you win to Christ can't be undone. And they will go to heaven, and they can't, if later on they hate your guts, they will remember when they get to heaven for all eternity who explained the gospel to them? And they can't get away from it, so just keep doing it. Don't worry about anything. Just keep winning people to the Lord. And he says here, 
Ye are my crown and joy. So stand fast in the Lord and my dearly beloved. So you have where he's making a great first layer of the sandwich. Now, in verse 2, well, we got a problem. We got a problem. And the problem was these two women that were there in the church. He says, I beseech Iodius and beseech Sintus that they be of the, and here's the, the key word, same mind. Now, if he beseeches them to be of the same mind, it might be that they are not of the same mind at this time. Wouldn't you kind of gather that? And he names these two women. And also remember that um, the pastor of the church generally would read aloud the letter. And how would you like to be one of those ladies sitting there? And the preacher reads this and your name is in the book. And telling you, y'all need to curve it and get on the same page and have the same mind. And so he's, there is a, it's a brief correction, but it's sandwiched in between two compliments. But you notice in verse 2, he talks about there is a problem. Then he says in verse 3, as he addresses the peacemakers. Now, we're supposed to be peacemakers in the church. In other words, always seeking to cause, not trouble, but peace. You see what troubles are, and you try to figure out how to solve problems, because we're supposed to be problem solvers. And so there's these two ladies in the church that are not getting along for some reason, or they could be on the same side, and they are not thinking like everybody else, and there could cause a problem. Now, let me just say this, and don't take it the wrong way. You probably will, but I'm telling not to take it the wrong way. Have you ever heard, you know, go by a lake or a, a creek bed, and you hear a bullfrog? And you ever heard a, a lot of bullfrogs? Now, you know, two or three bullfrogs can make it sound like there's a hundred of them. And you can get a couple people bent out of shape, and you'll swear the whole church is like this. And it could only be a couple bullfrogs. I mean, a couple problems. And so you want to try to, everybody, try to help solve this problem. So that's what you have there in verse 3. And I beseech thee also, he says, true yoke fellow. That's the, the people that are carrying the burden. You know, it's like a, a yoke that you are sharing and we all have a burden, a responsibility to help those that are uh, not on the same page. Because there's peace and unity when everybody thinks the same way. Be of the same mind. So then he makes this statement. Help those women. And I believe that's those that are mentioned in verse 2. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel. So he's complimenting. Hey, look, they work with me in the gospel. But now I... As time goes on, not everybody stays the same. Wouldn't it be neat if everybody just knew the Lord, loved the Lord, and stayed friends forever? But, you know, some of your biggest problems is not going to be from the lost people. It's going to be from people that's known you for a long time. They will be your biggest headaches, your biggest problems, your biggest struggles. Is the people that you know and that know you. Because that's the one that hurts you the most. The ones that hurt you are the ones you love. If you don't love them and they don't love you, well, they can't hurt you that much. So that's why understanding this is so important. So he said, I, I want you to rally around and try to help them. Now look what he says. 
when you look at the verse 4, look at this beautiful slice of bread. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So there's a compliment, compliment, and there's this little correction that kind of lies right in the middle there. And the key thing is teaching them how to think. Now, in Philippians in chapter 2, and some of this we've covered at different times, but just look at it one more time, because I believe it's important. Look what he says here in verse 2 of chapter 2. Fulfill ye my joy. Now, remember, where is the Apostle Paul? Well, he's just in a little old place called, you know, prison. It's called a prison epistle. But he says, fulfill ye my joy. You see, joy doesn't come from good happenings. He says, ye are my joy. It's the people that you reached. They are the results of the sacrifices that you made. And so you're glad that you did because it's an eternal deed that can never be undone. And so he says here in verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy that you be, and you ought to underline this word, like-minded, where you have the same mind. Look what he says here. Having the same love, been of one accord, of one mind. Now, before he, you ever get to chapter 4, and he ever deals with this one little situation, though it was maybe a problem, but it may not have been a great big problem, but all problems are problems, and all people need to correct little things in their life. Because, remember, you ever heard this statement, making a mountain out of a molehill? What's the difference between a mountain and a molehill? Just more dirt. And some things just get more dirt and get piled on because you didn't take care of it when you should have. And things get worse and worse and worse. So he says this, Fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, been of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But now, get this word, in lowliness of mind, of mind, as a position of how you think, let each esteem other, and see those three words? Better than themselves. We wouldn't have as much problem if we esteemed other people better than ourselves. But what comes the problem is when we esteem ourselves better than other people. Then we look down at other people. We don't need other people. We don't care about other people. We just think about ourselves. And so you have to watch how you think. So he says in verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but also on the things of others. How can you help other people? What helps you to bring this peace and this love, this joy, this unity that everybody wants, but maybe they're not strong enough to make the right decision or say the right thing, do the right thing. All right, the one that's the strongest, take the initiative. If you think you're right and they're wrong, all right, then you take the initiative to mend the fence. Don't wait on somebody. You, you take the initiative. Why? Because I'm stronger than they are, and I'm right, and I know I'm right. Okay, if you're right, then take the initiative. Now, look what he says. So in verse 5, he says, let this mind be in you. Now, think about this for a moment. We're going to start off up here where like-minded. Jesus did not think he was robbing anything from deity or from God, the Father. I mean, because they were the same mind. And so he humbled himself, became a man, and became a servant, and even unto death. Now notice the progression is from here, it's going down, 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 down. So 
The key is learning to humble yourself and then letting the Lord exalt you. Christ comes back from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And then that all men will bow someday. So it makes him even higher. So you see, there's the downward and the upward. And how you think. Humble yourself now to the will of God, knowing that in the end, when it's all over with, God is going to highly exalt you. And that's what the praise, honor, and glory is about in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. All the books pretty much teach the same thing. Just a different way, but says the same thing. And been of the same mind. Now look in chapter 1. In chapter 1, you notice that when he's talking about them having the same mind, he says that when he prays for them. So you know as you pray for people, how you're supposed to think. So he makes a statement in verse 3, I thank God, my God, upon every remembrance of you. So when he thinks about them, he prays for them. But notice what he says. Always in every prayer of mine, when he thinks about them, he says, for you all making requests with joy. Now, that means he's praying for them. Now, the other day, whenever Dave Cannon was here and he spoke on this thing about prayer, he brought out a great point that I hadn't thought about before. It wasn't always talking about, you know, praying that your, you know, your leg gets healed. What, but we should pray for that. Or praying that you can pay your electric bill, though you ought to pray for electric bills. And a, a pray for uh, somebody who got sick. I mean, you can do that. But it was always about praying for a person spiritually. What you wanted them to know, how you wanted them to live, about their character, about their trust in the Lord, about them growing spiritually, that their minds would be enlightened with the knowledge of the Word of God. And then you look here in Philippians, he talks about here in verse 5, for your fellowship. Praise for their fellowship. That's Paul's way of thinking. Now, wait a minute. Where is he at? Do you see him in all of this? Y'all, please pray for me. I'm having a rough time down here. I can't stand this hole I'm in. The food is terrible. I'm cold. I got a cold. I mean, there was a time, yeah, he said, bring a coat. Bring the parchments. But it was because of what he wants to do. He wants to write. He wants to read. But he says, he prayed for your fellowship. In other words, it's where you're getting along with others, the fellowship that you have, your fellowship in the gospel. And so this is what he talks about here. And you notice there in verse 7, even as it is meet or fit for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, and as much as both in my bonds, and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. In other words, what God did for me in allowing me to live, to serve God, to preach the gospel, you're the beneficiaries of it. You came to know Christ as your Savior because of that. I'm concerned not only that you trusted the Lord, I'm concerned about your joy. I'm concerned about your fellowship. I want the best for you. I want you to grow spiritually. But sometimes we just, you know, our prayers are more about, you know, you know, help me, I don't, 
I don't want to go to church this Sunday. And sometimes our stuff is about things instead of about people's spiritual walk. Because sometimes you see, you can't change the things that comes in life because God says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. What am I supposed to do? Lord, let no fiery trial try me. And when he talks about it, you know, that the trial of your faith may be found on the praise, honor, and glory, and so forth. Well, wait a minute. Lord, I pray that there will be no trial of my faith. I don't want my faith to be on trial. Wouldn't would it be a good place? But well, that, that's not what God wants. God wants to use us, and uh, he uses things to strengthen us because of the way he wants us to be. So you pray in that direction. Now notice what else he says. Look down in verse 9. And this I pray, that your love, see those two words? I pray that your love will reach its final quota and you won't need any more. Or does it say that your love will abound yet more and more? So he prays that their love will go stronger, that they'll love more and more, not less and less. But the only way you can do that, because see, love has to have an object. God is going to bring into your life some very unlovable people. You say, like who? Your husband. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your mother-in-law. <laughs> but God may do it on your job. He'll let some very unlovable people cross your path. And yet at the same time, what does he want you to do? You're supposed to demonstrate the love that God would show if he was here. Because, see, he's not here but he's here through you, and he wants to use you. So remember, when Jesus was here, people had all kinds of problems, and Jesus was a problem solver. You say, well, I can't walk on water. No, but you can show love. Well, I can't feed the 5,000. No, but you might be able to do something. Do you think it's God's will that you do absolutely nothing for nobody? Or do you believe it might be God's will for you to do something for somebody? Though you may not be able to do it for everybody, but there ought to be somebody. So he says here that your love, this is why this is so important. Now, look there in chapter 1, and also you'll notice there's other things that happens because of what God has for us. Look all the way down there, and you'll know that in verse, say, 20, down to verse 25, talking about this great decision that he has. He said, I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better but more needful for you. You must believe people need you. Otherwise, I have no reason for living. If nobody needs you, you lost your purpose for living. So I've always believed, since I've trusted the Lord, you need what I know. You need what I know. I know something. I know God. Therefore, I am very rich and I have the greatest knowledge that any man can ever possess in all the world, and you need to know what I know. Therefore, that is important. And I am important. I'm here because you need me. I've had people say, well, God doesn't need you. Well, the Bible says just the opposite, that he does. Therefore, we should serve the Lord with all our hearts. But you notice what he says down here, and look at this verse 25. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you 
for your furtherance and joy of faith. For your faith, so that you will grow stronger, not just in love, but in your faith that you can trust and wait upon God. See, faith waits upon God. Faith means you, got, you can trust God. So are you growing in faith, growing in your dependence upon God, growing in your love for others? Well, that's a sign of growing spiritually. And so he makes a statement here in verse 26, that you're rejoicing. It's all about you. Serving the Lord. I've had people say, well, I used to say it too. Serving the Lord's easy. It's people I can't stand. You know, boy, if I could just serve the Lord and just leave these people out of my life, it's so much easier. But you figure out how you're going to serve the Lord without serving people. Duh. Because that's why God left us here. For people. Did you get what he says here? In verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. In other words, I want to be a blessing to you. I told Betty, I said, we're going to go on a trip and we're going to go bless a few people. Now, we didn't go to be blessed. You bless me. I said, let's go and be a blessing to anybody we can. Wherever we go, let's encourage, let's talk to them and try to encourage them in the Lord. It is so much more fun. You don't worry about whether or not did everything go right. Did this work out right? Did that work out right? It didn't matter. Was I a blessing? I wanted to be a blessing to Dr. Scudder. And I think so. I told him I enjoyed that 100-mile trip. You say, well, did you? No. I mean, yes. I did. I really enjoyed it. Because it was over like that. I mean, I don't want to do it again. A <laughs> hundred miles to eat a meal. But um, think of how far we're going to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You say, well, how far is that? Well, I don't know, but it's pretty good ways. And, it, and just think, I hope everybody's get there at the same time because I want the food to be fresh. You think the food will be stale in heaven? I think it'll be just right. Just right. You know what I want to do for the first thousand years? Eat without getting full. Wouldn't that be fun? I know Dan would love that. Just eat without getting full. But may not work. Now, look what he says in verse 27. Look at verse 27. Only let your conversation or your behavior, your manner of life. He see, what Paul was going through, and the reason he was in jail is because of what he did in order to reach people. And so it didn't always work out good for him. Sometimes he had to suffer. He had to do without. But aren't you glad that you have the book of Philippians in your hands? What a book. This is one nice book on joy and serving God and uh, realizing how great it is to have an opportunity this side of eternity to, to serve the Lord. So look what he says here. And he says in the last part of verse 27, he says, that I may hear of, and you ought to underline these two words, your affairs. You see, there's things about your life that you're going through. Remember, there's a verse that talks about being not entangled with the yoke of bondage. And then he talks about being a good soldier and not being entangled with the affairs of this life. Because, you see, if you keep your mind focused on the Lord... Well, then it's like, you know, you walk in and your life straightens out. Like, you know, hold on to a rope and walk and it'll straighten out. But if you try to push a rope, well, then it's going to get all tangled up. 
and people's lives, when you follow the Lord, your life straightens out. You go against the Lord, He will resist you, and everything gets messed up. So some people's lives are just a bundle of nothing but nerves and emotional breakdowns, and they just, they can't face life. Well, stop trying to push against God. Just walk with the Lord and trust Him. Trust Him to walk you through it. And it'll give you a peace of mind. Because all of it, remember, deals with the way you think. This book deals with your mind. So notice what he says here. He makes this statement in the last part of verse 28. That ye stand fast in one spirit with one, see that word again? One mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then you'll find out that everything that you do, remember, if God is in it, there's an adversary that's also going to be in it. So in verse 28, and then nothing terrified by your adversaries. Did you know that one of the greatest dangers in a Christian's life that shows question and doubts and distrust of the Lord is the element of fear. What are you afraid of? Fear will destroy you because you're afraid and it'll rob your mind because you don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know how God's going to do it. You don't know how. You're not supposed to know how God's going to do everything. And it'll just rob you of your joy for the present moment. Learn to trust the Lord and just keep getting up and you don't have to figure it all out. What's the worst thing that can happen to you? To die. And when you die, what happens? You go to heaven. So what's your problem? I mean, really, when you get right down to it. Because your greatest problem's already been taken care of. These little things that we go through here is penance. As he says in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, he says, the light affliction is but for a moment. This whole life of ours is only a breath, a vapor of smoke, only a moment, gone. Remember just yesterday when you were 17 years old? Just, it was just yesterday. When you looked in the mirror and you were so young and cute or handsome, just yesterday. Surprise! And isn't it true that we can't hardly stand growing old? You look in the mirror and you say, mirror, mirror on the wall, and crack. <laughs> I could get sidetracked here. I, gotta, I have to watch myself. I have to totally restrain myself. But there is going to be an adversary. There's things that goes against you to rob you of your peace of mind, rob you of your joy, but you've got to learn how to think. 